and I don't mean this in a in a weird way, but you were like a little more rough around the edges, right? You weren't this uh, suit that I thought I had to be to be a professional, and you were the director of mental skills for the Blue Jays. And then you're talking like that. I remember not too long after that, ah, maybe it was after I w- was with you. I I was like, Patty, how do you uh, how do you where do you store all your files for your presentations and like your articles and stuff? And you're like, uh, I just hit search on my Mac Pro and hopefully it shows up. And I'm like, yes, I love this guy. That's exactly what I would do. Like, <laughs> there's no way I'm going through and going, uh, you know, this is my file for confidence presentations and this is my file for, uh, and then I'm like, yeah, th- right. Why would I do that? Like it changes all the time. You know what? I read something the other day. Yeah. Exactly. I read something the other day. I'm so happy that I read this, that I have to share it with you, given that you appreciate the lack of filing system, but also with everyone else, because I finally read research that justifies that as a, as the, as the correct way to do it, or at least an efficient way to do it. Adam Grant tweeted something, uh, a link to a research study that shows that you actually waste more time creating a filing system when in reality, like if you're in Gmail, you just Google a word mm. and it finds every single email with that word in it. Mm. So you don't need to say, oh, this is a business email and it's budget and it's this and it's that, or this is a presentation on mindfulness and here's session four. Like just go to the search box and write those three words and up comes that thing. So fun fact, you don't need to file shit. Just make sure it's all backed up on two separate locations and you're good. That might be the most important thing that anyone gets out of this. <laughs> it could be. It could be. But I think yeah. in essence, it sums up the what I'm hearing at least as your the thing that stood out to you about the difference in potentially the way I approached and still approach some things compared to how academics or uh, – the big thinkers might suggest is the best way to do it is that the fluff and nonsense is not necessary. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of shit that we do just in life, but especially in mental coaching or in coaching and in trying to help people perform, that is just a waste of fucking time mm-hmm. because you can get the same result with maybe a 2% difference in outcome, but a 100% reduction in worry and stress and mm-hmm. time used. And filing systems are one example, but the way that we coach people about how to be confident is another example. Yep. You know, I'm sure we've had many, and that was one of our early, I remember one of our early conversations once we had hired you was you know, talking about helping a guy feel good and deal with confidence. And I was like, fuck confidence. Like, mm-hmm. if you're not confident, what are you going to do? We don't give you a can of confidence and then you're all better. Mm-hmm. And you can play well without confidence. So why do we spend so much time doing that thing? Yeah, the, and going back to like the the vibe that we had, it was like there there wasn't like any there was no bullshit. It was like very hard truth telling all the time, and that's what players want to hear. You know, players like they're trying to figure stuff out right now. They don't need to hear the fluff. They just need to hear the hard truth, and it and it may hurt for a minute, but ultimately it's going to make them better. And that when I heard you talking to players and when you were talking with me, it's you incorporated the no bullshit in with 
all the other aspects of what makes a good mental skills coach, meeting player where they're at, the relationships and all that, you knew when to do it. And I was like, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and unfortunately, when I was with you, I was a pitching coach, but it, it was a really like your presence really propelled me to um, just give that up and go full-time mental skills. Cause it, I was like, yeah, I, I kind of, I want to be like Patty. <laughs> like you were a, a huge part in that. So I don't know if I ever told no, you that, man, but man, yeah, I really, uh, I, I really appreciate no, that. That was good. That's humbling, man. I, I, uh, I got a little, little goosebumps when you said that. So I appreciate, appreciate you sharing that. You know, and, and I'm pumped that I was able to, like, like in my story, I feel like there are, there are people along the way who, who might help you get to where you're going, but if you create the space, you're probably going to end up going there anyway. So mm-hmm. I like that you say it was me, but I reckon you had a lot more to do with it than I did. Well, of course, there's, there's a lot of things that go on, right? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of influencers, but you were a big one. I was thinking about before we, we got on, I was like, man, with Patty, we've, we've cried twice together. I don't know if I've cried in my whole life with another man, <laughs> but when when Roy Halliday passed away and Ken Revisa passed away, I remember being on the phone and just being like, "Yeah, that like because we did that, I was like, it, it, it reinforced how good you are at your job, and then like what I want to be because it's not really all about just like a mental skill tool. I mean, those are." Obviously, that's important. But the things that we remember are like I remember that I don't really remember you teaching me a certain mental skill tool to give to a guy, but I do remember those times of like, like you helping me out for whatever I was going through. You know what I mean? So that that was another aspect where I'm like, man, that that's the important stuff right there. <clears throat> Being able to have that, um, yeah being able to have those times with a, with another person, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, like a player that we're trying to coach or uh, another coach. Um, I think those things, I, I don't know. I think the, the, the ripple effect on that is pretty, pretty big. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what, that's real. If that's what's happening, um, and you and I both experienced it because we there were both um, people we looked up to and worked next to and learned from. And so, um, you know, if that's what's happening, there's no point playing a teacher-student role and trying to stay in character or whatever it is, manager, employee, or it, like, it's just, fuck yeah, man, this happened. These people are important to us. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I think that's vital whether it's with your colleagues or whether it's you're actually coaching a player or whether you're a player working with a coach and the coach is someone passed away. Like that, in my story, I talk about um, my mentor at the time who I lived with for the first few months of my first real job in pro sport. And, um, and he was much more like maybe 20 years my senior. Um had already been a head coach at another org, like very much senior to me, but he was very good at helping break down the barrier and us just talk as like two dudes who liked 
football and like coaching each other, or like coaching, sorry. And then, so the flip side was when he was in hospital and I was going to visit him, I wanted to make sure that we had conversations that was just like at that level, two guys who were interested in the same stuff. I got a lot to learn from him, more than he, more than I could probably teach him. Um, but when we can just respect everyone where they're coming from, that's probably half the battle. Like you talked about those things being important and, uh, and the, the, you know, you don't remember specific skills that I taught you, but I don't, I don't either because I don't think a lot of our work is about teaching skills. It's about helping people recognize things that work for them already. Like you already do most of this shit that I would have taught you from scratch, but I don't need to act like I know shit that you don't. Mm. I just need to help you recognize when, you, when you're doing, when you're coaching well, what did you just do there? See how that kid fucking loves you now? What'd you do with him? Mm. You should do that more. <laughs> and so that's, well, that's good coaching. Yeah. And you wrote a really good book about it too. Like, I don't know if you believe it or not, but I did read your book. Uh, Breakfast <laughs> with the Hills. Uh, you were the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I was the one order on Amazon. <laughs> Wow. Oh, so is mom. It's a <laughs> No man, that's that was a really good book. I read that after I knew I was getting hired by the Blue Jays. All right, I'm gonna find out about this guy a little bit more, see what he's all about. Um but yeah. And and what secrets did you glean from it? Well, the secrets are uh as much as you know, we talk about the no BS and telling the truth and all this stuff, you're a little bit of a softy. And and you're very you know, like you have a lot what, of is depth, BS man. is BS is BS and softy the same thing? Like, no. What do you, what do you mean? Why 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 did you say it as a just a juxtaposition there? As much as you, we talk about no BS, you're actually a softy. Like why can't they go together? Well, they can. That's what I'm saying. They do. Like you no. are you are that person. Gotcha. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, but yeah, I was like, I was, you know, after reading that, I was like, oh man, this guy's like really, uh, you know, emotionally, you know, available and, you know, he's there, he's going to really care about having like some cool, deep conversations. I mean, I, th- I think it took a while to have one of those after I started really talking to you. <laughs> we just, we just had a really good time, uh, you know, keeping it real for a while there. It was a, it was a fun curve. Yep. Man, that's a fun little path we went down. Don't really know how it happened, yeah. but that's that's the way we go. That's the way we talk about things. Um, you know, so I think I told you when maybe when when we first started talking uh in Arizona about the job, I don't know if I shared why I got into mental skills, but it was, it was partly mostly due to the transition process that was so hard going from player to to normal human being and yeah. i never really heard how you did that or how you transitioned from australian football how do you like that that's pretty good right i did i did yeah that's good good transition yep um, and good good size but you didn't do rugby yep yep um, but like you went right into coaching, but that, that doesn't, no, make, that doesn't correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So there was a, uh, I was a pro 
and I'm using air quotes when I say that because mm-hmm. I was a first-round draft pick, spent five years at the Australian football equivalent of the big league level, mm-hmm. um, not very successfully, injured a lot. And so then I was scratching around at AAA level with two other franchises after that trying to get back in. But all up, nine years, and when that finished, I was pretty jaded with the whole business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd also managed to eke out a physical therapy degree while I was playing. So I went and worked as a PT mm-hmm. for um, a physical therapist for four years. After maybe a year or two, I realized, no, nah, this ain't it, and uh, started looking elsewhere. Was I worked as a consultant, like a leadership coaching kind of thing for sports teams uh, in New Zealand for two or three years and then I went into coaching full-time out of team so it was a it was a transition but when you say how did you do it I, I would answer not well because my identity was strongly wrapped up in I am a footballer and a good one at that and that was obviously severely challenged by the fact that I didn't make the career that I thought I could have and others thought I could have but then probably even more severely challenged by the fact that I was no longer a footballer so I couldn't have that identity so yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was a it was a tough transition. That makes more sense to me because people that just go right into something else without with just fluidly go into another career, it just like I'm like how, you know. So that's what I that's what I thought you did, but that makes more sense now that you had a little bit of a you had some space there before you found out what you really want to do, and I think that's a big part of why you know. I called this thing circle change or whatever. It's just like, I think there's something there that we have to go through before we find out what the thing is that we really want to do to some degree. Yes. I ran around in circle. I, I did multiple circles before I changed um, <laughs> and ended up back at the same spot. I don't think, I think I said at the start of my recording that I shared with you that the, uh, um, me choosing coaching as a hey I'm going to do this was part because it was like an option for me mm-hmm. and I'd been told all the whole time I was playing people like you'll make a great coach partly because that was just my style of leadership as a player I guess I don't know I ended up in my last role I was just a coach and player at the same time so it was kind of like it was already in the cards but I hadn't fully pursued it with Gusto. But it was also at the time I was like, I had worked in this consultancy. I'd done some work with my dad who had his own consultancy and it just wasn't working. And I was like, ah, that's a good out without hurting my dad's feelings. I'm going to go and be like, Hey, I'm a coach. Uh, yeah. I'm just not going to work with my dad anymore. And, and, but so yeah, it wasn't like I had this epiphany of like, this is what I'm going to do, but it became pretty clear after the first year, probably in the pros where I did it. And we, we had a great year that, year with the team um, unexpectedly so and the players responded really well to what I did with them and I had a ball I was like oh, yeah. I've, I've found my groove now and, and this is a viable I could settle into this for a, for a long period of time um, which is ironic because you can never settle into anything as a coach for a long period of time but more just back to the point of like you saying you know you recognise that next career that you're going to throw yourself into. It took me a long time. And even when I jumped into it, I kind of just got into it because it was something else. Not because I, it took me to do it before I realized I was like, Oh yeah, this is it. 
That's funny because I, something I'm thinking about a lot is the same sense of urgency I have as a coach is sort of the same I, I had as a player. Um, and you just mentioned, you know, not getting comfortable as a coach, like we're going to get fired and it's, you know, we're going to shift and pivot to different jobs or whatever. And that frightens the hell out of me. Just like when I played, you know, like losing my job because I, I want to, when I played, I wanted to do this until I was dead. Like I, you know, forever, but that, that wasn't a reality, but there is a reality to you could like if you coach really well, you you could be a valuable part of an organization or just you know people's lives forever, and so that that's a huge driving force for me now because I really love what I do. Do you? In that, I I can see that, and I think I had that for a bit. But here's it: I, I got. Um, I started to get the sense, particularly this last year even for me, has been changing. I, everyone's dealt with COVID and there's been changes for everyone on that front, so I'm not going to overplay that. But that was some of it, changing orgs a little bit. I finally got my green card, so I have some freedom and certainty. I, I, I'm not as on thin ice as I might be if I put a foot wrong, as I might have been previously. So, that, so I've noticed even in myself that I'm like, I give less fucks about what a boss might think or how I should play my cards to keep my job. And I heard a saying from, um, so Dr. Richard Ginsburg, who's been the head of Boston Red Sox mental skills or behavioral health for might be up to a decade now. He's been there a long time and he's very good um, and he knows the industry really well, said this. He relayed this story. I'm not even going to pretend it's him because he would be mortified if I put these words in his mouth. He was taught by a clinician when he was – so he's a, a clinical psychologist who also works in sport. He was taught by in his clinical training by someone and his mentor said these words, and I love it because it's, it applies especially to us as mental coaches, but I think it applies to all coaches and probably in reality to most jobs. But the words specifically here were, if you're going to be good at this, you need to be fat and rich. And I, and I, when I first heard it, I was like, well, yeah, I chuckled. And I'm also like, that's ridiculous. Like, it's like being a fat dietitian, right? We yeah. used to have, when I was in the pros as a player, we had this nutritionist dietitian who was big as a house. Like, <laughs> and, and Australia's, Australia at the time was not necessarily a big fat country. Mm-hmm. Um, it's catching up to America, but. <laughs> In those days, it was just like, this guy is fucking huge, and he's trying to teach us how to eat properly. Like, all the players were just like, come on, give me a spell. (laughs) And and so when Doc said, you know, to be good at this, you got to be fat and rich, I was like, no, hell no. I actually feel like kind of guilty when I turn up in bad shape and I'm trying to teach a player about self-control or having a routine or, like, making good decisions. It's very hard to be a good coach if you're fat. And then he went on to explain, like, it's actually a metaphor. You don't need to be actually fat, but fat as in I don't need my ego fed. I'm good. So I'm not doing this because I need you to make me feel complete or I need you for my identity or I need to be able to say I'm a coach and look at me. Like, this is just what I do. And if you don't like it, well, fine. Go and, like, the, the players need to need us before we can help them. I can't need him and be up to trying to give him the answer and shit if he ain't ready to listen. So there was that. But then the other part is 
being rich, I, I don't like, – you can find me and it doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. So you're then able to get into a situation where, as a coach, I'm not trying to prove myself and I'm not trying to justify my job when I'm there. I'm just like, here's what I do. When the opportunity presents, I'm going to do it, but I'm not desperate about it. And it allows you to meet a player where he is. It allows you to be real with the player. It allows you to not feel like you have to talk in ways that... Oh, sorry, my headphones just fell out. Way to cut the... Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Um, it allows you to, to be present as opposed to thinking in the future while you're talking to a guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think when you talked about some of that stuff that you said as a player, you know, it's less about the academic references and, and it's less about all these other things and pleasing the front office and keeping your boss happy. Like, if you're a good coach, you're probably going to lose your job occasionally. Um, that's not necessarily the mark of a, of a good coach, someone who's been there 20 years. Um but if you're fat and rich, you're going to give yourself to be give yourself a chance to be the best coach you are, and that should that'll carry you a long way. Yeah, nothing. I mean, nothing really happens when you're desperate for it to happen, right? Like if you're just like, oh my god, I gotta be careful with everything I do to keep my job, then or to get a hit or make a play or whatever it is, that's not going to really turn out well for you especially in your soul. Like if you're giving up what you believe in to fit someone else's idea of you, then it's, it's probably not going to end up well for you. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I I would disagree with the nothing ever happens. Plenty of stuff can happen. It's probably not what you want to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people, a lot of people can get into a, a relationship out of desperation. A lot of people can get into a job out of desperation, um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but these are th- th- there's a lot of things that can happen. It's not necessarily the most sustainable or the best path sometimes. And I think the the, the the regular analogy of like if you really try to throw the shit out of a ball, like as hard as you can, if you throw it out 100, percent you might get you might max your velocity out, but if your your effort level is at 97 percent or 95 percent or 90 percent that's usually more sustainable and probably you end up getting the same velocity anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just for me as, as a coach, I know when I truly believe that what I'm doing is going to be helpful or impactful or maybe it's not any of those things, but I believe in myself as a coach then the worry of everybody's opinion of me goes away pretty quick. And I feel like that's where, that's where I'm at my best. I think that's where most people are at their best. You know, when you just have done the work, you're prepared for, for whatever it is that you're going to do and you just let it happen without worrying about how other people are going to think. And that's, that's how it, that's always when the good stuff comes out. And when I played, that's when it came out too. Um, but I've been in that trap in my current job of, oh, I need to make sure I say these things for them to think I'm valuable. Like that's, that's definitely there sometimes, you know, even still. But the more I move away from that, 
and go to, um, uh, you know, a belief system. It, it just like talk better. It, the, the conversations more fluid. Um, and I also, I'm like, wow, I didn't like, there's more passion in my voice and there people can hear that. And there's more of a curiosity and exchange of, uh, an ex- in our conversation. Um, but yeah, yeah. No, no, I've discovered I'll add this caveat that I, I totally agree with that. You become a better and better coach, the less you can care about what people think hundred percent. But then there's also the side job of being a coach and particularly at the pro level and particularly depending on the sport, but when you're dealing with guys who have their own entourage and the GM is making $100 million decisions and there's also an element of stakeholder management that like if you become totally a I don't give a fuck what you all think kind of guy, you will be a very effective coach when you get your opportunities. But your opportunities, you might be lucky. Mm -hmm. You might be in a locker room with a Russell Wilson who's the – biggest player in the locker room and is open to mental training so it allows you freedom but you might also be unlucky and be in a locker room where certain players who are very influential are sarcastic and take the piss out of it and make it hard for you to do the job and if you if you're like well I don't give a fuck you might get little windows but you need to manage the people around the environment to create that space to, to be able to do your coaching as well so I think there's a there's a blend of of managing people and being a coach that they're not always a perfect overlapping Venn diagram. Yeah, and this unfortunate. This like may wrap a bow on the whole thing, but that's exactly where it goes back to when I when we first started talking about how you were you were somebody that I wanted to be like with with coaching because you were it was like this no BS thing. It was like telling the truth and, you know, you would cuss and, and do all the things that I like to do, but there was nuance to it. And that's with everything we do. You have to have some nuance. Nothing is binary. Nothing is like one way or the other, especially in sports. You have to, you have to understand the edges just as much as you do sort of the cracks, I guess, and, and how people think of things. And that's, that's what you're talking about. I believe, you know, like understanding how, like the approach of a conversation and really understanding what's happening before you just dive in and, and try to help out. Um, so not, not giving a fuck is, is a real thing and it's a great place to be, but you know, there's nuance to that. Mm Mm-hmm. So there was no question there. Agreed. Yeah, that was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep, I'm, yeah. I'm nodding. I'm yeah. nodding and and making guttural agreements. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, man. I don't. I don't know what else to really talk about. I think. I think this has been pretty good. Uh, I don't know, man. I, it's. Our conversations are are always sort of meandering, but I, like you said earlier, I mean, we always, I always get something out of them. I always have, no matter what conversation we've had, uh, whether it's 
you know, been on field 17 or, you know, more of a setting like this. It's just, it's always good. So I appreciate you. You say field 17? What yeah. sort of facility are you working same one, same 17 one you were fields? At. Same one you were at. <laughs> field 17. Yeah. Didn't we have that? I feel like there was six. There was definitely Man, more things really six. took off when I left. When <laughs> I left for the NBA, things really took off, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they expanded. <laughs> yeah. That, trust me, that wasn't all from what they used to be paying me either. Their, their money came from elsewhere. Oh, okay. That's not what I heard. Yeah, yeah well, that, you know, don't believe it, but then you hear. <laughs> all right. You're the man. Thank you. Hey, man. All right. Well, hey. Anytime, anytime. Got a lot of love for you, and I hope this uh, hope this helps some of your some of your people. Yeah, me too. It's a good one. <laughs> if I figure out how, Hi, man. if I figure out how to get it like in the air, then that'd be really great. Because as far as I know, this is just going to live on a scan disc forever. Well, so here's the thing: if you put it on a portable, you know, one of those thumb drives, like a USB yeah. stick, yeah. And then you take that, like, in the palm of your hand and then throw it up in the air, then technically it's in the air. I never thought about Isn't that. Isn't that how it works? That's how... Just throw it as high as you can. That's how I listen to all my podcasts? That's what people are doing? That's exa- I mean, that's why Joe Rogan's so popular. He's got a cannon of an arm. <laughs> and when he f- finishes his episodes, he just hoiks them in the air, like, full pelt and lands all over the world. My so, arm has to be better uh, than Joe right Rogan. Out. So... Well, I think I think he I think that's what everyone's missing here. He had like a minor league career that kind of flamed out, and you know, he did have a cannon of an arm. You obviously went further with your arm. Hopefully, there's not been no degeneration, but there's nothing to say that you can't be the next Tim Ferriss, who also had an amazing arm, even though he doesn't look like it. He definitely doesn't have a good arm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. All right, man. Uh, I hope that bit makes the cut. Can you at least put that in? Just so it's people think I'm funny in the end. It's definitely in there. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah, of course. All right, mate. All right. Well, good to hear your voice. Yeah, you too. Are we going to talk after this, or is this it? Yeah, no. Let's 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 talk um, in twenty twenty two. I think I've got time. Okay. You, you good with that? Let's do it. Uh, but yeah, call when I've got uh I've got another hour right now. So All if right. you want to talk then sweet. Bye. Right. Talk to you soon.